Okay, welcome back. Double J Weekend Preview. Today, we have a special guest, Elijah Quivy, on the show. Our second ever interview on Double J. He will be a recurring guest, hopefully, after today's incredible, I'll say it, incredible interview. I'll call it a 10 out of 10. Um, Pat myself on the back and really the guest on the back. Uh, No Jace, he is still in Morocco. Um, So a weekend preview with nothing really to preview. We'll talk some United ownership uh, sale at the end of this and then get out of here. A pretty quick episode. All right, let's get into it. Okay, welcome back. Double J weekend preview slash special episode. Elijah Quivy. Quivy? I should have asked about the last name. I asked about the first name. It didn't get the last name. Elijah Quivy is here on Double J. We have finally got him on. Elijah, welcome. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, you you got the last name correct. It is Quivy, so I'll get on that aside for sure. Yeah, pronunciation podcast. We do our best. This is difficult, okay? Um, Listen, we'll get right into it. Elijah, for those who don't know, former college soccer player, uh, currently coaching uh, individually. So we can plug that, too, while we're here. Coaching some individual soccer camps, which is great. I think that we're going to get into development, his recruitment, and all that stuff when we get into this. I think development in this country, especially 1v1 learning, is at a a very low state. Um, Getting guys with your experience is incredibly essential. So, um, first off. How did we get into the game as a kid? Is it a family thing? Is it, what is it? Yeah, it's a family thing. So my dad originally born and raised in uh, south of France, in Bordeaux, France. Um, It's like in my blood, right? So dad played uh, professionally over for, uh, over in Bordeaux, was in the Bordeaux Academy. He was an army brat, moved to America, started playing, and then played Division I college football over here in the States. And then I was born. And then, yeah, I pretty much was born into it. So I started playing at a very young age. Um, I started when I was like three years old because I have an older sister who was playing in a church league in CYO. And I joined her team as a four-year-old when she was like U7. And I was like (laughs) destroying all the kids. So that's how I got started. That is crazy. Father was in the Bordeaux Academy. See, that's kind of how... So my dad is from Wales. So I got it that way too. It's all just dads have come over here and been like yeah no this is how it's going to be from a young age like i grew up and it was united was on the tv it was david beckham and i go who's the guy with the platinum blonde hair he looks cool like that was how it is i feel like for dads foreign european dads coming over here it's just like nope early in the morning you're watching soccer no absolutely i i still remember this day um i have a decent following on tiktok and that's like how how i really showcase like my sock like my football like ability but dude my first ever football kit at a young age, I still have it in my closet right now, is a Zinedine Zidane kit that my dad got me when I was like probably five years old. Yeah, I the amount of the amount of it's funny when you get to like I got to hit the age of about 1920 where I was like, is it is it socially acceptable to wear all these United jerseys out as much as I do? Probably not. And it sucks because I just have this huge collection. I have a Zidane France jersey. I have um, I'm from Memphis, so I got a Memphis to pie United jersey, which is was a, a sick one to wear around. But I stopped collecting them. And, it, and that reminds me, I really wish I kept on going because like the Juventus gold jersey back in the day, all that stuff. Those were so sick to wear. So Dude, I'm at that no, age definitely. scared to do it. No, I mean, I'm 24 and like now 
because I'm a big fashion guy, right? Like, I'll, I'll go get, like, a vintage jersey, and I'll wear it with, like, a nice little fit. Yeah. I still get a United kit every year, like, depending on which one I want to get. Yeah. Like, this year, I'm, I'm going to get the white kit when it goes on sale because the white yeah. one's fire, in my opinion. Yeah, it is. I'll still, I'll still rock a kit here and there. Like, every year, I got to get a United kit, even though they frustrate the hell out of me. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm saying, though. It's like, I, I stopped it because it was, like, fashion-wise, not really that acceptable. Especially, like, I don't know about you, but I'm from... I'm from the South, so it was kind of weird being like, oh, yeah, soccer's number one for me. People were like, what the hell? That kid's got something going on with him. Like, So the jersey thing was even kind of like pushing it, but now it's become incredibly fashionable where I'm like, well, damn it, I got behind. I'm like five years back now. Dude, yeah, guys that don't even know about football are wearing them, you know? Seriously, they are. Yeah. Like, you got dudes rocking. I see all the time down here now. I, I see... Uh, I remember back in the day that Juventus gold, the gold Juventus jersey used to be everywhere. Like I used to oh, see yeah. people with that thing everywhere. Pogba on the back, the whole nine. Yep. And I was like, dude, yep. this is crazy. Um, okay. Stepping away from soccer jerseys. I could go on this forever. How, uh, you got to the game through your dad. You yep. grow up through here. You start at such a young age and it's going yep. through. Do you think that, and you get into your recruitment, this is kind of playing into your college recruitment. Do you think that that developmental age, even that young, is that essential to go even as far as like college and then even further than that? Yeah, no, a thousand percent. Um, So basically, I'll give you a brief rundown of how it started. So I fell in love with the game at a very young age. And then my dad was so, so easy, but so hard on me at, at the same time. Right. So he he at a young age obviously let me fall in love with the game. I was an absolute stud at a young age, right? Like, when I got thrown into my first rec league, the parents on the other team would get mad because I'd score so many goals. So my dad would limit me and be like, hey, Eli, go go play two-touch. At the time, I'm like, what the hell is two-touch? <laughs> and then he'd be like, hey, you have to score the goal, but make sure the ball's in the air when it touches the net. Like, these little things. So I would, like, in my mind, be doing that. Right. And I remember when I when I turned 12, I got my first trainer outside of my team. So I got a Spina Jolie coach, and then I got a soccer-specific coach. So my Spina Jolie coach, you know, got me how to run correctly, all of these things. And then my soccer and football coach, he gave me all the fundamentals, how to do quick turns, how to check my shoulders, how to do all these things. At the time, I'm playing number 10. I was a short, fast little guy. Right. And then about 13, 14, so going into my freshman year, I was playing academy at the Indiana Fire Academy. And again, anyone who's listening – if your kid is a young kid, female, male, it does not matter. Throw your kid in an academy system. Your mm -hmm. kid needs to be in an academy system to be pushed. Yep. Nowadays, I don't know what it's exactly called. I think it's the MLS Next. Um, but when I was playing, it was the, called the DA, the Developmental Academy. Yeah. So I was playing for an affiliate for Chicago Fire called Indiana Fire. It's where I grew up. Some yeah. of the best coaching and everything, right? You get pushed phenomenally. Like very professional, how the everything's ran, everything, right? So I'm, I'm playing for them, playing really well. I'm growing a little bit. I get moved into the eight. Then I grow more. I'm 6'2 now. By my junior year, I was 6'2. Uh, I was playing the, the six. So, no, I think – and I had those two coaches my entire time I was growing up, up until college. My strength and ability coach and then my uh, personal football coach. Like, huh. okay. they were both with me up until I got to college. And then during the summers, I stuck with them. But – Having a dad who understands what football is and what you need is absolutely crucial. I, I, I believe that a thousand percent. And like you touched on, 
I'm actually after this, I'm headed to a field to coach two young uh, little boys. They're both seven and eight. Just the same thing, you know, relaying what I had when I was a kid. And it goes the longest way. Right. And and the key thing I think you said in that entire thing, and I have like 80 different questions coming off everything you just said. But the key thing you said there, you started your change of direction and your speed coaching at what age? Uh, 12 years old. Which is like probably so if there are parents listening out there or something like that who are thinking, damn, 12? That's early. You got to think over in Europe, there are U12 academies that are literally doing that day in, day out. They've got oh, yeah, specific no, it, to that. It's that's that's the bare minimum over there. Um right. I mean, like they're even doing it probably younger now, like seven, mm-hmm. eight years old. And you know, it's it's literally part of their everyday. They probably do a speed and agility training probably twice a day on top of a tr- full training session. Mm-hmm. It's insane. So I mean the 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 american academy and the american culture for football is decades behind and i i stand by that for for a while we're yes our national team is getting better but like dude our academy system over in america is so dead it's like sad (laughs) Like there's these stats that come out and you hear them because you live over here of X amount of kids never make it to the NBA that play college basketball, X amount of kids never make it to the NFL that play college football. Do you realize how much talent the United States is not utilizing for soccer? It's like, crazy. It, it's crazy. And it's yeah. it's down to the grassroots stuff. And you are one of the soldiers that are helping in the good fight of like developing kids at the age that they need to start developing for this sport. Because as we get into college recruitment, it is different. Ages change as far yeah. as as far as the sport goes in America versus everywhere else because of our college system, because of our schooling system, essentially. Talk about like your recruitment and kind of how that worked originally. Yeah. Um, my recruitment was very off the beaten path. Um, my freshman year, I was still playing Academy um, for Indiana Fire. I got my first Division One offer as a freshman um, from actually my dad's alma mater. Uh, it's called IEPUI, Indianapolis mm-hmm. University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Um, my sophomore, junior year, picked up about 15 more Division One offers and a couple of Division Twos. Um, and what's funny, my podcast that we're talking about off air yeah. was all about my, my journey and all my buddies journeys. I have a lot of friends that play in the MLS, U- USL over in Europe, um, couple in Mexico, just, I have a really good friend group that they all play professional football somewhere. But anyways, um, my recruitment. So when I was, a, when I was a young kid, obviously being a teenager, I thought, you know, the world was at my feet, right? Like my head was so big. I was like, you know what? I don't need grades. I can just go off my footballing ability. So my junior and senior year rolled around. <laughs> Coaching staff, I was originally committed to the University of Kentucky. At the time, they were number eight in the country. Um, they wanted me to come in and play the eight. I was fired up, right? They're like, hey, Eli, we're going to come come to your school and, and check out your grades through your academic advisor. This is my senior year. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, shit, like, this is bad. So they come in. Um, they have lunch with me at the table. Everyone's like, oh, shit, like, University of Kentucky's here for Everyone calls me Quivy or Quiv, my last name. Like, oh, Quivy is like legit, like whatever. Like, hey, let's go talk to your advisor. My advisor at the time pulls up all my records. At the time, I have a 2.2 GPA. The NCAA Clearinghouse at the time is a 2.5. I have no mm-hmm. idea what's that now. Probably the same. Yeah. Um, I think we're relative to the same age. Back in the day, you know, like the SAT and ACT score are like huge, right? Like you got to right. have those again. Cool. My SAT and ACT score were nowhere near it. So they're like, hey, Eli, 
you know, you got to figure this out. Like, what can we do? My advisor was like, Eli can take community college classes next year, play if he can play somewhere and then transfer in um, as a sophomore. But he'd be a freshman on the field like his clock wouldn't start. OK, so University of Kentucky coach staff's like, OK, cool, we'll do that. So a year goes on. I'm still young enough. I played with the academy, the U19s at Indiana Fire. And then I guess play with the Chicago Fire Reserves at the time. I drive up to Chicago and play. Okay. And, um, you know, I was taking just online community college classes. I took 46 credits. And then I, I was, Christmas came around after that. I was 19. And I was like, okay, contacted University of Kentucky. They're like, hey, Eli, we don't want to move forward with you because of your grades. We don't trust you. I was like, okay. Go down the line of my offers. Same exact thing. Then the only school standing is IEPUI. So I go to IEPUI, my technically freshman year, but I was a sophomore in the classroom. Okay. And essentially, the whole coaching staff punished me for my grades. So I'm not even saying this to have a big head. I was the best player on that team. Out of the entire season, we played, I think, 23 games. I played 135 minutes. There's 90 minutes in a football game. Oh, so, my gosh. Wait a minute. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Before you keep going. You had you had offers from top ten schools in the NCAA, and you were getting pined by IUPUI. Yeah, so here here's the craziest part, right? So at the time, my freshman year, um, we had a we had a decently big sized coaching staff, um, and we you know every single practice would get recorded. They would they would track who would win. Like, let's say we played an eight v eight game. If you won that, you would get tracked like a win in your column. You know, your top speed, your, how many miles you're running in training, all of these things. In the dressing room, we had the leaderboard, so it would motivate people. My name and number, I was number 18 my freshman year. Eli Quibby, number 18. I was number one on the leaderboard the entire season, and I played 135 minutes. It made no sense. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Criminal. Everything so at the you top, just laid out seems like you were punished for what you did as like what like a sixteen year old kid in a high school classroom. Yeah, exactly. So that is crazy. Well, so what was crazy is I transferred in with like a four GPA from community college. Then I got a four my fall semester at IEPUI. Then I ended up transferring to a small Division two school at the time, which turned into a Division one school when I was there, called University of Southern Indiana. Transferred down there to USI. And I was the guy on the team. I uh, played number six the entire time I was there. Had an unbelievable college uh, experience down there. Loved it. Played really well. Played Division Two and Division One there. Um, it was a lot of fun being the guy there. We had a nice turf field. We had two really nice turf practice facility fields. Um, state-of-the-art locker room, weight room. Um, it was a good, good transition. And that's how I, I made my podcast because I transferred after being punished. And then I still got my grades, got my degree. And then I played a little bit out of school as well. But that was pretty much my recruiting journey. It was insane. That is crazy, dude. I mean, absolutely insane. Getting, because if you think just, you know, take yourself and put yourself in a different country too. Like say you're in France, in Bordeaux, you're incredibly talented at every level you are, just like you are here. And they're like, oh man. But it doesn't really look like he's trying all that much in the classroom because he has other passions. Right? Do you realize yep. how different that would have been? Yeah. It is crazy to think like that. And that's where the disconnect that I, I talk about when you hit 18, that's when it changes. Everything gets flipped. Where no, it's... absolutely. 
And another thing, if people are actually listening to this and actually are, are interested in what recruiting is like, and I love talking about it, college soccer or football, however you want to pronounce it, in America are the worst coaches I've ever seen and experienced with my eyes. <clears throat> I had my one of my closest friends growing up played at IU, the powerhouse school in North America. And I had another buddy who played at North Carolina, the other powerhouse school. Both those schools have won over, I don't even know, five, ten national championships in their careers. Mm -hmm. They said that that coaching staff at IU and at North Carolina were so bad. That's crazy. That's insane. Because and you, you've got to think these are also guys and teams where we're looking. That's the development place, right? College at that age is the highest development point, apparently, in this country. Yeah, yeah. And we have a coaching level at such a low standard that you wonder why the production of talent is what it is out of college soccer. No, I wonder why it is. It's it's glaring, right? Like, if you look at it, um, I'm a big college soccer, like, junkie, right? I love to see guys that play well in the NCAA tournament and where they go. Right. Um, and then the power of TikTok, a lot of those guys are on TikTok, right? Yes. Um, they get out, they go play in the USL for a year, mm -hmm. USL one or two, um, or the championship, or they're playing for the MLS next uh development league. Right. They play one year there and they don't break the they don't break through to the MLS, so they're done playing. Right. Well, I don't understand how there's a disconnect with that. Like and, and there should be a transition <laughs> where you go from college, you're you're at a power five school in college. You should go play at the next level and and get get on right, but most of those guys don't make it. It's insane to me, and it's not. There's no system at 18 for a guy like you who can say, "F these colleges, yep. I'm just going to go and do developmental stuff where yep. they have outs or way outs ways for me to not have a college education." But have something if this doesn't work out, right? Yep, a trade yep. specialty, perhaps. So th there are other ways of doing, of recruiting talent that doesn't have just one avenue of it's got to be college sports. Because yeah, no, when that gets cut, I think that's how we grow. And you start talking about United States men's national team growing. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. Because if you look over in Europe, right, every single major club, even down to the third divisions over in England, over in whatever country you're in, these kids from U8 all the way up until they make into the first team are at a school where soccer or football is first. Then mm. they go to school on top mm. of it. They go all the way until they break into the first team or the U23s or whatever the case may be, and they keep playing. And most of those guys break through at 14, 15, 16, as you know from the Premier League, and they get on. Right. Here in America, if you don't make it to college football or soccer, you're not going to go anywhere. Cooked. And even when you go there, you're still not going to make it anywhere. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Golly, you're preaching and, the good word, my man. I've been no, saying I this know for it. years, for years. And, and, that, and that's where the disconnect is because people look at, oh, you know, why is England so good at football? Well, look at their system. It's yeah. absolutely flawless. Yeah. Well, well, there's so many people in North America. Why is USA never good? Look at our system. It's broken, mm -hmm. and it's been broken for years. Now, yeah, absolutely, our team is getting a lot better, the U.S. men's national team. But go through and look at actually who's American. 
Off the top of my head, I can name about three guys. McKinney, yeah. Polistic, mm-hmm. Tyler Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even... Everyone what else is, is foreign. Can you remind me what all those dudes have in common? What do you? Oh, I'm trying. None to of them went to college. Oh yeah, they all grew up in a in the academy. They grew up in the academy system. I think yeah. McKinney went through FC Dallas and then was immediately shipped over pretty young. I know Adams the same way went through Leipzig stuff and was over at FC Dallas originally. And Pulisic went straight from Hershey over to Dortmund. Dortmund. Yeah. So it's like none of these. All these guys said, "See you later." Yeah, you're so right. Yeah, mo- yeah. The only person that I can think of, and it was he did it well before, like anything, was DeAndre Yedlin went to Akron, I think, for a year. Yeah, you did. Yeah, he did. You're right. Yeah, and he won a national championship his freshman year. I do remember that. Yeah, he went, and then he went to Seattle, and then from Seattle did his thing, and then went over to the Premier League. But yeah, no, that's nuts. It's wild when you think you just named like the three names I would have named too, uh, and yeah. you go through them and you're like. Well, wait a minute. Um, so, and that then is another crazy. thing is like all those guys on our our roster that are actually good. None of them play in the MLS. They're all over in Europe. And uh, can we? Can I get a quick check on your MLS respect? How how high is it or how low is it? I think the MLS right now it's getting a lot better. Yeah. Um, I actually do catch myself like thoroughly enjoying watching the MLS match <laughs> yeah. on, a, on a given weeknight. I still think it's a little little bit far behind from Europe still. Yeah. This is how I use it. And I do a college football comparison to do it. You know, when the Mac has the Wednesday night games and you're yeah. like, F it, there's nothing else on Max on. Yeah. I watch college football. That's kind of, and then the premier leagues, like big 10 sec, whatever you like, right. The premier. And that's how I compare it. It's enjoyable. And I like those Cincinnati games, the environment I've been seeing that season, that's looked sick. I find myself enjoying them a lot. And then you just, at some point in the game, I always catch myself and go, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got to realize we're not there yet. Um, Because we talk about all these leagues in America. You talk about um, NSL and the championship and all that different stuff. And you talk about how these guys come out of college and they go straight there. They get a year and then kind of drop out because there's no chance of getting to the MLS. I'm assuming that means you are a pro promotion and relegation guy. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. think it is so it is so needed in North America. Mm-hmm. And that's all that's also why we're so far behind from Europe is uh, again, I can show you my my uh my old podcast. I have a lot of buddies that play in the USL Championship. A friend of mine won the USL Championship last year for San Antonio FC where I currently live, right? Nice. SAFC in San Antonio, Texas. SAFC beat Austin FC's first team in the U.S. Open Cup, which is just like the um, FA, the Cup, FA yeah. Cup over in England. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's crazy. They beat, F- they beat Austin FC at home, actually. Austin's about an hour away from San Antonio, 45 minutes. We beat them at home. We won the league. We should be in the MLS, but there's no, there's a disconnect. And that's why all these guys that come out of college that are tr- striving to make it to the MLS, they play in the USL, and the USL is your contracts. Yeah, These guys are making dirt money. Mm-hmm. If they got more money for getting promoted to go to the MLS, and yeah, it'd be a yo-yo league for a little bit, right? Like they right. go up and come back down, go up and come back down. But you're getting more money revenated. You're getting more people eyes on that in a city where there's not a big soccer community, there and it is. helps North America soccer grow. That's why there's that disconnect as well. Like that is it, it's volatile. Like you have to have it. Put it in these communities 
that don't have a lot of professional sports teams, right? Because where's the MLS? The MLS is essentially in every single uh, city where there is already an NBA, NFL, MLB team. Yeah. It's crazy. You you talk about uh, San Antonio, which just has the Spurs. Yep. They now have a soccer team, and you're talking about them because you are in the community and you were there seeing it, right? Like if if they if they weren't there, you wouldn't care about as much and as deeply about them. You start putting them in these places. I'm from Memphis. We have a 901 FC gets great yeah. following. Uh, San Antonio the same way. You start putting them in these cities that don't have massive professional teams. To watch what it does. It's crazy. It's pretty wild how it'll work. No, it is. And the other thing that's nuts is like. The MLS still is so far behind. There should be MLS teams in big cities. Like, look at St. Louis. They finally got one. And they're yeah. absolutely – they're doing very well the first year. Like, it makes no sense. And then, no, I think it, it, it is it, – it's very much needed. Like, you got to have MLS teams in bigger bigger states and cities. And it, it'll realign more revenue for the MLS as a whole. Um, but, I mean – if we are talking about the MLS, like you have to attribute, you already talked about him. David Beckham is the key guy that even made it mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. If if Bex never came to North America and played in the MLS, what would the MLS be right now? Mm. Well, it wouldn't have started that trend, right? Of getting the, yeah, exactly. the names. He was the first guy where everyone was like, eh, I don't know. And then David Beckham does it. Then you you start to get the other guys, Lampard, Gerard, Pirlo, Henri. You can go through them, right? That have yeah. come through here now. Messi, Messi is kind of Beckham's completed a cycle of like bringing Messi to his team in America. So it's like that step is good in my eyes. It's a good step, but right, how far does this thing? How far can it go without the other qualities that every other league has? Exactly. Yeah. Crazy. And Crazy. I don't. I don't know where the MLS is going to go from here. Um, obviously, they're trying to make it a global sport. I know, I believe Inter Miami was supposed to go to China to play uh, Al Nassar over there, That's and I think it just... fell through. I think it fell through for whatever reason. That would they're have trying been to do that. Crazy. They're trying to make it more commercial, but like, I don't think you should go that route making it Mm-mm. commercial. Mm-mm. You have to keep it organic. But you did the that's... and they they've done the development thing right where they did the McKinney Adams coming out of FC Dallas. They got yep. um, plenty of other Brennan Aronson in the same way who I didn't mention uh, also probably. Yet, yeah. I'm almost positive skipped college um, and his younger brother who's Paxton's and Paxton's raw Paxton is raw. Um, yeah. And yeah, then, they both skip school. Yeah. You, you talk about um, I completely lost my train of thought. Crap. I was thinking I started thinking about Paxton Aronson. Damn. Um, regardless. We'll move on to United. MLS, be gone. Let's yeah. Move <laughs> Let's move on for sure. United. Where did that fandom come? Is that straight from the father as well? Because that's how, it, like I said, it happened with me where it was like, nope, this is how it's going to work. Red team, that's who we're rooting for. Everybody else we hate. Yes. I remember, um, again, I'm 24. As a kid, I remember going on YouTube in my basement, and I, I literally looked up like, I don't even remember the time ahead. I looked up something with soccer and an advert for a T90 commercial that was like popping at the time, I'm assuming. And I, I can still find it from this day. And it was skinhead Wayne Rooney at the time. Yep. And he was number eight for United. And I fell in love with Rooney. It's actually my, my family's dog name now. His, I named it after Wayne Rooney. His name's Rooney. Great um, dog name. Yes. Phenomenal. Name. Phenomenal. But 
I fell in love with with skinhead Rooney, and then I remember this number seven guy came on, mm. and obviously it turned out to be Cristiano. And then <laughs> from a young age, yeah, they were just my team. Like, and I'm I'm a diehard. My TikTok is all about United. Um, and Dude, I see yeah, it. I see I it. Live I, I, I live I've or die. I live or die. I've seen it. I've seen it because I see if you if you're the guy that's posting the Instagram stories of United with zero care as to who else sees, especially yep. this season, that's yep. what I know. I'm like, damn, he cares. He gets it. He gets yeah. it. That's <laughs> when you know that guy's yeah. doing it when we are this bad. Oh, wow. Um, obviously, it hasn't been a great start to the season, but I don't think we've actually been uh, – points wise as bad as people have said i don't i don't think i think if you've listened to, to me and jace we don't think the ten hog out stuff is really believable where do you stand currently on united yeah um i'm every day i wake up and i feel different um <laughs> yeah yeah so, um no i think we have to keep trusting ten hag um i i believe he is the guy i think there is such a breakthrough from the ownership on down and it is it's it's shocking what's going on with the players right i I made a tiktok Mm -hmm. yesterday about it i generally don't know if mason mount wanted to even come to united i believe that his agent and the club and the agent and ten hag had some agreement that he would come for his price tag we overpaid for him he looks miserable in our jersey Mm. it doesn't look good and then you 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 have the likes of Jane Sancho. Why is that a thing? Mm. Why why does Sancho have to come out publicly and, and apologize to Ten Hag? That makes no sense to me. Mm. He's gonna be he's gonna be gone. Mm-hmm. I think we should do respect to Jaden and send him back to Dortmund. Send him he's linked to Juve. Send him for free on loan for a year and then bring him back. I don't understand that. Um also the injuries is is our technical Crazy. like is our technical it, it was the same thing with Polistic over in Dortmund, he kept getting hurt, kept getting hurt, kept getting hurt, and not get not recovering. Now he's at Milan, and he's been healthy. He's been flourishing. I don't understand why we have Luke Shaw. He's been out. I, in my opinion, Luke Shaw is our best overall player. Yeah, yes, he's been he's been out. Yeah. Varane is in and out of injury. Martinez has been out for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Who knows when he's coming back? Mm-hmm. Uh, Martial has been injured. What, where's our technical staff? Why are they not recovering our players? That's what yeah. frustrates me as well. Yeah, I I will say the Sancho thing, I have a slight disagreement with you. I think when you publicly tweet out something about the manager and then the manager says, listen, you just got to say I'm sorry, and you refuse to do that, that's crazy. It's a little wild behavior. Um, I still have – I'm with you, though, where it's like you show me a comp of Jane Sancho on ball back in, where I'm like sending him out on loan. He can come back and everything's going to work out. It's just tough to be on the guy's side right now. No, Um, it is. And, like, my thing is – Every single night when I'm going to sleep, for some reason, on my for you page on TikTok, it's Jane Sancho Dortmund highlights the year before he came to United. <laughs> yeah, dude, like where did it's he sucked go? Back in, you get sucked back in, man. It's one comp, one TikTok, and you're like, dude, I swear, I saw a Martial comp the other day. I started believing. Come on, there, there are, there are things that will buy us back in. I, but like, where did where like, it literally is something out of, um. Space Jam, like the Monstars took <laughs> yeah. Jane Sancho's skills, bro. Like he gets on the pitch, he can't even run anymore. I'm like, bro, what? No, he can't. And, we, and the thing is, he can't beat a man. He cannot no. beat a man 1v1. And it was like, I saw you do the little dip of the shoulder and beat a yep. man and sent whip balls into Holland every single game at Dortmund. I don't know where that's gone. That I no. have no idea. 
So no, and then and then um back to your original your original thing. My my thoughts on United, I completely agree. We're at the table right now, right before Christmas, right before the holiday, Boxing Day, the New Year. We are absolutely fine. Because mm-hmm. look who's above us. Spurs are going to Spurs. Um, That's right. I, I'm not even looking at the table, but w- I think we'll be fine. Um, I think top four is still very achievable for us. Um, I think the only thing that is scary is I don't want to go get dropped to the Europa League again. Um, yeah, we got to do some stuff in Europe, huh? Yeah, and it, it's it's tough. Obviously, like our group is pretty tough, um, but we can't be losing in tying games in the, in the Champions League midweek. Like that's just not acceptable. Um, no. Got to go perfect here on out. I think to qualify. Yeah, we do. We have to go. I yeah, think we, have we to do win win. Yeah. So um, right now, just Villa and Tottenham and Arsenal, Liverpool and City ahead of us. We are only. Uh, I've got the table right here. Only uh, seven points off top, but it's. It's raining hellfire, apparently, United. No, so obviously our fan base is so passionate and absolutely hate the Glazers, which I do as well. Yep. Um, but we're fine. Villa is one injury away, and he always gets injured. He's in form right now. Ollie Watkins always gets injured. When he's out, they have no one. Mm, that's a good point. I don't actually disagree. I love, we're a humongous Unai Emery and, and Villa guys, so we would never wish that. But he's right. He is right. He is due an injury, and that would every single season. It's kind of like the Kane used to get those a- ankle injuries for exactly. Spurs once a year. Exactly. And it'd be like that's where they kind of get screwed. Um, and then Spurs, obviously, they have they have just the Premier League to work on this year, so one game a week. But, again, there are a couple injuries out. Look at Madison. He's out for a period of time. Uh, Sonny, if he gets injured, they're going to be absolutely screwed. And they'll keep dropping points. It's Tottenham. We know what they're capable of. Nothing, right? Like mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. we're we're gonna be fine. My only concern is I am this season. I've been high on him. I don't feel that he is doing well for us right now, and he frustrates me. And I think he's a kind of a cancer when he's on the field and he's not playing well. Is Bruno? Mm. Okay. See, the thing is, I had like four different names in my head when you were going down that. Is that bad? Is that a bad thing? I feel like that's bad. Because I was thinking you were going to say Rashford when he does the fake little limp thing when we get like 2-0 down. Um, well, no, Rashford's a whole different discussion. <laughs> but I think I think Bruno, when he's not on his day, he, he should not be playing for us. The, the problem is you can't ever tell. I call it Bruno Fernandez disease. Uh, it's when he's trying to do everything and he's just walloping balls left, right, center, everywhere, 15 yards into the stand. Like you don't know yep. what's going to happen. He's trying to be Superman and play these balls that are completely against the system and how we want to play. A lot of Kaisamiro has the same kind of disease where he just likes to play the ball in the air. And it's like, dude, stop, stop it. We don't have to hit these long balls. No one cares. Um, but I, I see what you're saying. He does get mopey, does get a little bleh. I kind of like it. I'm here for it when he gets like that. But when we're 2-0 down or 3-0 down in the Manchester Derby and I'm watching him do that kind of stuff, it does rub me the wrong way at times. And another thing with me is, like, look when Bruno came in. During COVID lockdown, he was, I, in my opinion, he was the most informed player in the world. Then... Two years later, he gets a number change. He gets his contract, and now he's a little bit lazier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now he's our captain. I'm like, dude, you can't do that at our club. And that's what kind of pisses me off. I'm like, Bruno, you got to turn up, man. Like, we have to turn up here. And yeah. he's the guy, when he's on fire, everyone's on. Everyone's firing on all cylinders. Like, our wings are playing well. Everyone has confidence going forward. And then to piggyback off confidence, Marcus Rashford is my favorite 
this is a bold statement. He might be my favorite Manchester United player of all time. Ooh. I love that he came up through the academy. I love his flair as an academy kid. I love when he came on um, when he was wearing number 39. I just absolutely love what he did during COVID for the community of Manchester. Um, and I love how he plays, right? Yeah. But this season, again, another thing because of my TikTok, people message me. I guess he broke up with his girlfriend again. He did. And now he's absolute shit on the field. <laughs> yeah, that shouldn't be a reason, I don't think. That should be a reason no. to be scoring a lot more, if anything. He- you're a professional footballer, man. Like, you can get any girl you want. Mm-hmm. Why are like? And that's obviously relationships and in love. That's for other people to podcast about, right? Not us, but not us at all. But I'm saying, like, dude, you have to turn that off when you step onto the field as a United player. Absolutely, I like, agree. Last year, last year, you're our player of the year. You absolutely tear it up for England. Another thing is, why does he go to England and, and ball out? Uh, because I think he hates Southgate so much. He just, whenever he gets to play, he's like, watch this. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I'm dude. I'm seeing the same things you are. I just only have comedic responses for them because it's actually sad when you get serious about it. No, like, yeah. Like if watch this week when England play, I guarantee you Rashford will bag two goals and top 92 from an absolutely disturbing angle after like putting the guy on the floor and you're like, what the hell? He'll either start or get subbed on in the 70th minute, have 20 <laughs> minutes to do something, and he'll have a goal or assist. I'm like, where is that at when you're at United? You play full <laughs> 90 or 110 minutes, and you're you're jogging up and down the field. Right. But we're fine. We're fine. My last question for you before we get out of here. Uh, will I see you in the title parade in 2025? Are we going to be over in Manchester? Yeah, we'll be over in Manchester. We'll do a title parade. We'll do a whole vlog about it. Me, you, Jace. We'll, we'll shove Jace over there. He'll be in all of his Arsenal gear at a Manchester United Premier League title parade. It'll be beautiful. Yeah, I'll be there. I mean, all right. the rate my TikTok's at, I think by that time, hopefully I get flown out by a company or something. That's right. I'm there. Yeah, and also, you have bags that just store me and Jason. Yes. Also, if you were if you were an avid listener of this podcast, follow me on TikTok. Uh, yes. At my name, at Eli Quibby. I'm close to hitting 10K, and then I can start getting some money from that, so that'd be fire. But I'm Let's a interesting not a content creator, and I love like the UK life, so I'd make a lot of UK lifestyle videos as an American, which is funny. But yes, you'll see me there. Um, okay, welcome back. Double J weekend preview. That was Elijah Quivy. He will be back on very soon, I imagine, and quite frequently, hopefully. So uh, stay tuned for that. It is just me still, no Jace today. And a quick update, we will not be having an episode on uh, Tuesday. No Tuesday episode. I'm going to be traveling to London. Jace is going to be traveling back from Morocco. We're not, we don't have that kind of dedication. Um, We'll be back next Friday for a weekend preview. Uh, For now, for the rest of this episode, I'm going to talk some United ownership. Uh, Richard Arnold, the CEO of Manchester United, has been fired this week. It looks like Jean-Claude Blanc is going to be his replacement, the former PSG CEO, according to Fabrizio Romano. It's not according that he's the former CEO. That's just a fact. He's the main guy, apparently. But uh, this is a kind of the first step for Jim Ratcliffe's Ineos uh, 25% ownership. It's probably a step in the right direction. Uh, Richard Arnold to me always felt like it was a one temporary hire and two um, unprepared uh, hire. A guy who was seen meeting out with fans in a bar to um, 
defend himself for the lack of transfer spending uh, last, not this past summer, the summer before. Um, just a guy who was not really fit to be the CEO of a club the size of Manchester United. Uh, promoting from within always gave me a, gave me a sour taste in my mouth, to be honest. Um, when we fire a guy like Ed Woodward, who is that incompetent blatantly, and then just promote the guy right below him, I don't have too much faith just from the start of it, not a whole lot of faith. And he uh, completely made me um, feel correct in everything that I assumed about him. Um, it's looking like now that uh, Richard Arnold and is going to go with John Murtaugh. So John Murtaugh, the sporting director, uh, is reportedly on his way out as well. These changes are all probably going to happen at the end of the year. Richard Arnold is end of the year. He'll be gone. And John Murtaugh is being reported uh, today by multiple outlets that he is going to be gone by the end of the year as well with Paul Mitchell replacing him formerly of Monaco among others, which is again, these are the steps that need to be made for the first time in the Glazers. uh, Since the Glazers took ownership of Manchester United, there is going to be uh, someone in power put in power by them that has an experience has experience in football, some form in the position that we're hiring them for. That is a crazy fact to have on your, on your resume that you've never once hired a person for a specific job that they've done before at a club before that. What at Manchester United, the biggest club in England, we're not looking at CVs. We're just hiring wild, a wild, uh, a wild run for the Glazers looks like from the sporting side, it will be over. Um, and at this time, it is looking like things are going in the right direction. Now, is that a guarantee? No. I think there are a lot of questions I still have. Um, the money has always been a big question of how much is going to be invested. I think a lot of people are expecting that with these changes are going to come January spending. I don't think that's the case. Uh, I imagine they're going to want to get their feet in. Paul Mitchell, Jean-Claude Blanc, Jim Ratcliffe. I imagine the recruiting team is going to be reworked as well. Um, And they're going to want to get everything set up most likely for a big summer window, their first big summer window uh, with Eric Ten Hag. I, I imagine if anything were to happen in January, it would be emergency buys, which makes sense because all of this stuff, one, the Ineos deal still is not official, still not official. The Jean-Claude Blanc appointment hasn't become official and Paul Mitchell has not become official. So until that stuff become official, becomes official, we're not going to see much in the form of change. With that being said, even the rumors are great. Even the rumors are great to me because – at this point, there's someone there who at least knows the sport. It's not a banker. It's not a banker's right-hand man that we're then going to p- promote. It's a guy who has been a CEO of PSG. It's a guy who's been a sporting director at multiple clubs. That is at least a step in the right direction, regardless of how successful it is. So moving forward for United, there is uh, an ownership is pretty much no news until that stuff gets done, which it looks like it's going to get done here pretty soon. And we'll just announce that we no need to talk about it any further. 
Okay. That's kind of all I had today. I was going to talk some Feast Week, um, but I don't really want to that badly, and there's no real need. You guys got some great content on an international break day. We hope we will be back. No, we don't hope. We will be back next Friday for our weekend preview. I will be across the pond. Jace will be back here. Everything should be going swimmingly. Okay. This has been great. I hope everyone's enjoyed it. We will see you guys next Friday. Peace.